in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he started speaking. God started speaking, and he put things into place. And it was where there was nothing. If, there, if it was dark and God said, let there be light, then light appeared, and all of a sudden it existed, and it was there, and it was, it was just being light. And then all of a sudden there was the earth, and then God filled the earth with water, and, and all of these things started to happen. But one thing that we don't know about water then, that we had to learn about water later, is that although it's beautiful in a bowl like this, water is one of the most destructive forces in the world. It can destroy you. It can level entire cities and parts of countries and even sweep up the southern parts of continents and create such damage that people's lives are changed and ruined forever. And that can happen just because of a little shift in the platonic plates in the ocean. And a tsunami can, can go for miles and kill many and destroy cities. And so I wonder sometimes if God saw the potential of water in the beginning when he created it and he realized that needed to be put in order. And so God started organizing things in Genesis 1. He separated water from water. He said some water goes here and it does this specific thing. And some water will go here and it will do this specific thing. And he did the same thing with other things. He, 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 made, he made day and he made night so that light in all of its beauty and all of its power wouldn't keep us up all day and turn us depressed. But there could be a nighttime so we could get into a rhythm. Has anyone ever been to Alaska? That rhythm is a difficult rhythm in Alaska. And the suicide rates are high because light is not necessarily kept in the same level of balance as it is here. So God separated water from water. And I think in doing so, there was a story that got passed down to Israel when they would tell the creation story. Because if you look at Genesis 1 and you study it really closely, you're going to discover that although it tells the creation story, it is very much a poem. And if you were to read it in Hebrew it would be a beautiful, beautiful poem. There was morning, and there was evening. There was morning, and there was evening. There was morning, and there was evening. It repeats itself, and it's beautiful. And so God saw in the story that was being passed down that he wanted to show that he was in control of these elements. That these elements, as powerful as they are, don't get to run the day. God gets to be the one who tells these things what to do. And so he separated water from water. A few years later, Israel gets confused, and they don't start following God the way that they should, and they wind up in slavery in Egypt to these people who define themselves as God. And the pharaohs say, we are gods. And they mummify themselves and they bury them so that themselves so that they can have eternal life. And, and the people who entered into slavery died in slavery and their children were born into slavery. You've heard me say this before. And so they had no other way to think other than we are slaves to Egypt. This is who we are. 
and the Pharaoh says they're God, and the Pharaoh's the one who takes care of me, so I must believe that. But at the same time that they live that existence of Pharaoh being God in their lives, there are some stories that get passed down. And some of those stories are, there's a bigger God who spoke the world into existence, and who has command and control over the elements, and this God is a God who wants to set us free, and Moses enters the scene, and miracles start to happen, and the story gets rated R really quickly, with a lot of people dying, and God doing a lot of stuff, because freedom matters more to him for his people than the lives of even the oppressor. And Israel, Pharaoh lets, Pharaoh who claims to be God, lets Israel go and they're dancing and they're singing and they're marching out and they're a ways away and they're free and they turn around and chariots are coming at them from a distance and they make it up to a big sea and they don't know how to cross that sea and God surrounds them with a wall of fire and Pharaoh and his army cannot get to them, but they're terrified. And some of them say, we're terrified, we're going to be killed. I know God is protecting us right now, but we're really, really, really scared. I wish we were back in Egypt, where at least we were taken care of. I know we were oppressed, but at least we were taken care of. And Moses stands up and he says, be still and watch God. And Israel steps back, and they look, and before them, the Red Sea parts. And there's a, there's a sea of water that they could not cross, and the waves lift to each side. And they go, what is happening? And then Moses is the first one, he steps out there, <laughs> and the people start to walk across on dry land, and I don't even know why they did it. I don't know exactly what gave them the confidence to step into a raging storm of walled water, knowing that in a moment that could come crashing down, and it did, on Pharaoh's army. The God who says, you will never oppress people because I am for the poor, I am for the weak, I am for those who have not been given the, the same chance as everyone else, I am for the neighborhoods who have been neglected. I am for those people. They can go through. And Pharaoh's army gets drowned, and I think, and I wonder, what if, in the midst of their oppression, in the midst of their fear, when the waters parted, and nobody wanted to step out into that sea, if somebody spoke up and said, hey, do you guys remember that story when God separated water from water? And maybe it's the same God who's separating this water from this water. And then even in the remembrance of that, their confidence builds. And somebody says, yeah, I think it's that God. And they step in to a faith of a God who spoke everything into existence and separated water from water, believing that he was separating water from water for them now. And then a few years later, a lot of years later, Israel establishes its church 
And as they establish its church and follow this God that set them free, they learn very quickly that this type of thing, religion, can be manipulated and used to take people's money and make them patriots to their own belief system. And Israel starts to, 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 to oppress the poor in, the, in a similar way that the pharaohs had oppressed the poor. And then this guy named Jesus shows up. And he's at a party. And he hasn't done anything yet, but they're having a party, and his mom says, we're out of wine. Can you do anything about it? And Jesus says, my time hasn't come yet. And his mom says, listen to him, to do whatever he says. Just completely ignores him, which I don't recommend you guys do. But mom did it. And Jesus goes to the water, and he does something to it, and it becomes wine. And then he goes to the cross, and he changes the story about what it means to be the church. We're no longer here to manipulate and oppress people. We're here to make sure people get set free. And I wonder if somebody said, hey, remember when our people were slaves in Egypt and God turned water to blood to set us free? I wonder if Jesus is claiming that he has that same power in turning water to wine, and we can trust the direction he says to go. And then, just a few probably months later, something unique could happen because the Sea of Galilee is located right around where Israel is and Palestine is, and there was a lot of Greek mythology that was getting mixed in with Jewish traditions and their attempts to follow God. And Greeks believed that demons dwelled in water because water was chaos. And water had destructive power and they hadn't really entered into the understanding that God is in control of this all. He's the one who separates water from water. And so the Sea of Galilee that was in the midst of it all would really rage at night. And a lot of people, even Jewish people, believed that this is where the demons came to play. And the sea that would rage could kill them. And then one night, Jesus is sleeping in a boat and the disciples are scared because the demons have caused the water to stir again and Jesus calms it. And then another night, Jesus comes walking on the water and he looks out at Peter and he says, Peter, I want you to come to the water too. And we learn that, yes, this water has the force to destroy our lives, but Jesus is in control of it, and he's even in control of the spiritual darkness that we think is right under the surface trying to destroy us. Jesus can bring us to that. And so somewhere along the lines, Christian got the idea that I would walk into, in front of a community of people who believe in Jesus, I would walk into water from up here, and I would make the shape of a cross in that water. And then I would go down 
under the water like Jesus went into the grave and I would come out and I would resurrect. And we call it baptism. And we, in that moment, acknowledge that just like Jesus died, we also get to go underneath the things that want to destroy our lives. The demons that are, that are under the water that want to take everything from us. And we get to go down into the chaos of our own lives, but then it's Jesus who says, come out, and he raises us above it. And so here at Edison Chapel, when we do baptisms, we are going to not have a baptism Thursday where we pile everybody in. If somebody wants to be baptized and commit their life to Christ or they haven't been baptized and they want to communicate with the body that they've been baptized, we will plan the service around them being baptized and they can come have the whole service for us to celebrate them joining the community. But what happens through this process is we acknowledge something unique. And it's this. Life is much like water. And I didn't go into like specific Bible verses tonight because we're looking at water through the whole thing. And I want, when you are reading the Word, to open it. And when you see water, you get to understand what people believed about it and what God is doing with it. And life is much like water in that the things that pile on our lives, although from the outside in, people look at it and they say, everything is fine with you. Everything looks good. It looks still. It looks beautiful. Why don't you have your stuff together? It's okay. Everything everything should be okay with you. Or do these things and everything should be okay. Why can't you get it together? Why can't you stop feeling that way? Why can't you just be at peace? And we don't know. We don't know why. But we know that just below the surface of our lives right here, it's very chaotic. And we just want somebody to pull us up. And what we realize when Jesus pulls us out of the chaos where the waves are tossing and turning and where we feel like we were about to drown and we come out and we we understand that we haven't drowned because Jesus was with us the whole time. Peter, I'm not going to let you go. I'm with you. What we realize when we come out of the water is that those waves that were crashing against us, those same smashing waves that can level cities and, 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 and destroy stones and kill people, because Christ was with us, all they did was knock away the dust and the dirt And where there was hopelessness, now there's a space for hope. And and where there was no faith, now there's a greater trust. Because we come out of that water saying, that was a lot, but I'm still standing. And the reason I'm still standing is because Jesus separates water from water. He takes the water that you thought was meant to kill you and uses it to refine you and says, I know it hurts, but let, let me baptize you in it. And let me bring you out. And if I was a cheesy preacher, I would say, some of you are doing good. And some of you are doing bad. And some of you don't know. We all know what it's like. 
to be in the water. We all know what it's like to feel like we're drowning. There's no question. But when we embrace the reality that Christ goes with us and promises to bring us out, then we can offer hope to the world. And we can be a chapel, a church, that fully empowers a neighborhood. How many of you know that how many of you know that Advent has started? And this this Advent, the word is hope. We have the hope of a Savior. We have the hope of someone who won't let us drown, but will take the thing that's trying to kill us and use it to chisel away until we look like Jesus. And that, my friends, is what Jesus did with the cross. The ugly thing is now the thing that we hold up as the most beautiful object in the world. So tonight, we worship the God who separates water from water and who baptizes us into the chaos of our own lives and brings us out with Christ so that we can be like Him. And the only reason He does that is so that we go and offer that hope to the world. Not that they come here and sit and listen to us, but that the world gets to experience the empowering presence of God where they are. Jesus came to their boat. He didn't call them to his shore. So, Father, as we continue to worship tonight, remembering our own baptism and the reality that you bring us out into your presence and that you keep us alive under the waves, we thank you so, 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 so much. And we thank you that you can even take the chaos and use it to shape us. And when those around us seem chaotic, we're thankful that we can recognize that you're just bringing them into your presence. Because to them, your kingdom is nearer than ever. In Jesus' name, amen.